You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you and you may not sin. People stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your law, which is a light unto our path, and we pray that you'd forgive us our sins, that you would sanctify your church through the reading and preaching of your word, and that you would please save sinners today. We pray that the hearing and the preaching of the word would both be anointed by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'm in this series on the Ten Commandments. We wrapped up the Seventh Commandment last week. And I, someone reminded me after the service that I finished the Seventh Commandment and I did seven sermons on the Seventh Commandment. And I had seven points in my last sermon on the Seventh Commandment. So we completed the Seventh Commandment <laughs> last week. Well, we're in the Eighth Commandment today, and the Ten Commandments are the natural law of God. They're the constitution of reality. So, in an ethical and moral sense, if you want to live within reality, you live by um, obeying the Ten Commandments. That's, they teach you how to live within the context of God's moral realm. There's various laws of nature, and there's laws of mathematics, and then there's the law of reality. There's the constitution of reality. And if you want to live in reality, you live by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can tell you how to live. They're guide for life. The Ten Commandments teach you what sin is. So they say, this is wrong, this is good. And then they convict you of your sin. So they do all these things. One thing that the Ten Commandments don't do is save you. They can't save you. They can't forgive you for your sins. They're cold, hard law. doesn't mean they're bad. We're bad. That's the problem. But it does mean that they're inflexible and uh, they're not going to save you. And so as you come under the conviction of sin, as the Ten Commandments are preached, your only hope for salvation is Jesus Christ. The only Savior. So as the law of God needles around in your heart and points out areas of your life that must change and that are in rebellion and not in conformity to God's law, you must repent and you must run to Jesus immediately. Go to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. He's the only one who can save you from the judgment that you deserve for your sins, which are the violation of God's law. Like I said... 
Today we are in the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Verse 15 of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not steal. And I plan to spend two weeks on the eighth commandment. I'm going to talk today. I'm going to give you a general overview of the eighth commandment. And then next time I preach, which will be sometime after Christmas, I want to talk about how this applies on a very personal level with wealth management management of your personal finances. But today I'm giving you an overview. And so here's what I'm going to do. As I talk about the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. I'm going to ask three questions. One, two, three. And attempt to answer them. One, what is theft? That's the first thing I'm going to ask. Two, why is it sin? And three, how does this apply in the various spheres of life? What is theft? Why is it sin? And how does this apply in the various spheres of life? That's what I'm asking today. So let's get right into this. And let me first ask the question and answer it, attempt to answer it. What is theft? This is what the Eighth Commandment forbids. It forbids stealing. You shall not steal. So what's that mean? What does it mean to steal something? Well, very basically, it's to deceive, to carry away secretly. So there's different ways you can steal things from people, and one of the ways is you can deceive people, another way is you can carry things away, take things from people secretly, and another way is you can use force, armed robbery, um, to take something from someone. But it's to take something away from someone without their permission, essentially. John Gill defined it helpfully. He said, to take away another man's property by force or fraud without the knowledge and against the will of the owner thereof. So there again we see it. There's different ways to steal, force, fraud, against their knowledge. And so this uh, hits at several aspects. Edward Fisher said of this commandment, he didn't just apply it the, po- the, ne- the negative, the prohibition, but he applied it to the positive commandment, which we'll get into in a minute. He says, that is, thou shalt by no unlawful way or means hurt or hinder the wealth and outward estate of either thyself or others. So I think that's really important. So just as you can commit um, murder against yourself and self-murder or suicide, you can steal from yourself by squandering your wealth. And so it's not just forbidding you from taking money away from somebody else, but it's forbidding you from loosely squandering your own assets. And an affirmative part included is the words, but thou shalt by all good means preserve and further both. So there's your positive aspect. Because remember what I've said, as we'll get into in a moment, that what the commandment forbids, it demands the opposite good. So if you're forbidden from taking another's asset, and you're forbidden from squandering your own asset, then you're commanded to contribute to the multiplication of another's assets and of your own assets. So both are there. You're you're supposed to learn, actually, as Jesus talked about in the parable of the talents, how to multiply assets so that as you invest, the assets naturally multiply. So this is what theft is. It's not just, it's primarily in this commandment, it's a prohibition. This is where it applies to civil law. It's a prohibition of theft from another person through fraud or or deceit um, or through doing it right under their nose or by force. It's, It's prohibiting that. But then, positively speaking, it's commanding you to protect your own wealth. It's commanding you to protect the wealth of another. It's commanding you to be generous, and it's commanding you to multiply your own wealth and contribute to the multiplication of the wealth of other people. And so these are things that I think uh, need to be retaught generation by generation and perhaps, perhaps have been lost to some degree because the dearth of preaching on the Ten Commandments. We really do need more preaching on the Ten Commandments, and this silence on them has not been to our advantage, but has been uh, to our shame. So that's what theft is. I've talked about what theft is. Now let me talk about why it's sin. Why is theft sinful? Why is it sin to steal something? What's the first principle of the Eighth Commandment? Why is this so wrong? 
And the first principle of the Eighth Commandment is this, and that is that God owns everything. Everything is His. So Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11, for example, says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. That's God. God owns absolutely everything. In fact, other parts of Scripture says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we start with this foundational principle as we're building towards how we get to this commandment, you shall not steal. We start with this foundational principle that everything that is, is God's. He created it. He sustains it. It's all kept together by the power of his might. Everything that is, is God's. So that's where we start. And then we move to this next principle, and and that is, is that God has created man to be the managers or the stewards of his assets. So so you start with this one principle, everything is God's. And then this next principle is God has delegated authority and responsibility to manage and steward his assets to us as individuals and families. So you are a manager of God's assets. God's given you gifts. God's given you abilities. God's given you wealth. And that's what you're supposed to manage. Giving you property, perhaps. You're, you're God's asset wealth manager. Everything that you have is God's, and he's given it to you to manage. And then so what we say is, as we go from those two principles, everything is God's, then he gives to us to manage, he has allotted to us, he's given to us, each a different portion. So your lot in life is different than my lot in life, and your lot in life is different than the people sitting beside you, their lot in life. But God has designated the lots. He's allotted to every single person his or her portion. And he has given to every person the duty and responsibility to manage the wealth that he's entrusted to them. And so this is what happens when we steal. When we steal, what we're doing is we're reaching into what God has allotted to another person and we're taking it into our allotment. And when we do that, we're saying, number one, I don't trust God. We're saying, number two, I'm not content with what God's given me. And then we're saying, number three, I am God. If you think that you're a better asset manager than God, if you think you have more wisdom than God so that you can steal from another person and put it into your allotment, then you are putting yourself in the place of God because he is the one that allots every person according to his wisdom and desires. So at the end of the day, if you want to boil it right down, theft is wrong. Why is theft wrong? Well, theft is wrong because it is the declaration by the thief that he is God. That's why it's wrong. It's sin. Let's talk, let's tease this out a little bit more. Why is it sin? Well, I just shared with you why it's sin. But I'm going to get into this a little deeper. The eighth commandment is God's economic policy. So we're going to get a little political today. It's going to apply on the political level and the personal level. But it is God's economic policy for all spheres of life. The Eighth Commandment is the first principle of economic policy for your domestic health, wealth management in your home. It's the first principle for the church on how the church ought to manage money. It's the first principle for the government on how the government ought to manage money. And as W.S. Plumer said very well, he said, the Eighth Commandment regulates our labor, our buying, our selling, our expenditures, and our entire civil conduct. So everything that touches on wealth, our wealth management, or the use of money, our finances, It all gets boiled down to this, and then all the applications are derived from this Eighth Commandment. And the violations of the Eighth Commandment, there's many ways to violate the Eighth Commandment, 
But the violations of the Eighth Commandment are rooted in two serious sins, as I've already mentioned. One, unbelief. I believe that God is unfair, therefore I don't believe that God is fair. It's rooted in that. He is unfair in his allotment to me. It's rooted in unbelief. And two, it's rooted in covetousness. I deserve more than God has given me. So it's rooted in those two heart desires, those two sins of the heart. One, unbelief. I don't believe that God is fair. I don't believe that God knows what he's doing. And two, covetousness. I deserve more than what God has allotted to me. Unbelief and covetousness. And fundamentally, theft is the violation of God's allotted order. This I'll talk about applies to you, how you manage your own money. And it furthermore, and this is what I think we lack teaching in our generation on both aspects, it, it pertains to how governments ought to manage their money. Let's talk about socially for a minute, society. Free enterprise and ethical capitalism are grounded in the Eighth Commandment. Now, some people think that free enterprise and capitalism are grounded in greed, in our desire to accumulate more and get a bigger piece of the pie. Some think that free enterprise and capitalism are premised on greed. No. They are premised on property rights, and property rights are premised on the Eighth Commandment. God has given you property. It's your job to multiply it, and that's where the free market comes in. And so this is, like I said, as I introduce every sermon, I think, on the Ten Commandments, and there's been many sermons on the Ten Commandments. I lost track of how many I've done now. But we're going to get through this, I promise you, should the Lord give me you know, enough time. But I, I'm, I'm working my way to the end of this. But every sermon that I've, I've talked about, the Ten Commandments, I think I've told you that it's the natural law of God. And so this means that if you strip away all the externals, this is how the world works. It's how it would have worked in Eden. So if Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were to have children, and they were to have children, and they all lived in Eden, and there was no sin, they would have eventually multiplied their resources. They would have developed farms and animal husbandry, and they would have extracted gold from the ground, and, and they would have developed infrastructure and economy, all without sin. And so the free market is a market that is rooted in the Garden of Eden. And the Eighth Commandment is derived from our natural state within the Garden of Eden. So capitalism and free enterprise are the natural order, the constitution of reality. Now, some people think that when I say capitalism, what you think I'm, I'm saying is, is not what I'm saying. Because I, I prefaced it by saying ethical capitalism. Use the adjective. It's ethical. And I talk about the free markets. So what we see a lot of today is not necessarily scriptural capitalism. It's not always ethical, and it's not always a free market capitalism. It's not always ethical, and that much of capitalism today is predatory. So, you know, for example, the sale of marijuana. Well, that's a predatory industry. It's not ethical. Or the, the sale, the manufacturing and sale of pornography. That's, that's a predatory industry. It's, it's not ethical. The love of neighbor is not involved in that. This is what I mean. Our or it's not free markets. And, and this is what I mean when I say free market. You have various special interest groups or various lobby groups, and what they do is they lobby the government to get handouts from the government, basically welfare checks to companies, which put them at an unfair advantage over another company, or they lobby the government for more regulations to squeeze out their competitors. And so this is not a, this is not a legit free market. Some have called it crony capitalism, and others have brought those two words together to call it crapitalism. But essentially what you're getting is you're getting a, a vision for economics that's called capitalism, but it's not really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's interventionism. And so this is, this is not Eighth Commandment stuff. Eighth Commandment is an ethical, non-interventionist um, use of free enterprise. 
but state intrusions, regulations, nationalizations of industries are against nature. So let me, I'm, I'm talking about why this is sin, and I'm dealing with kind of the macro level as opposed to our personal level right now. And I'll get, I've talked about the personal level, and I'll get into it in a moment. But let me, let me explain this further on a big level as far as society goes. Communism and socialism, so interventionism on the part of the government into the markets, is to economics what sodomite marriage is to the seventh commandment. Did you hear me? It's the adulterating of the eighth commandment. And so what's sodomite marriage to the seventh commandment? Well, marriage, according to the seventh commandment, is a man and a woman. The government comes in and says, nope, we know better. We legislate this, and this is now marriage because we say it is. Right? Well, what's the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment is I own my property, and I have the right to develop my property, and then I have the right to exchange what I develop on my property with someone else. And then what we do is we exchange goods and services, and we develop our properties and our assets. We create an economy. And then the government comes in, and just like they say, well, this was once not marriage, and now we say it's marriage. They come in and they say, well, this is not how we're going to do economics. And they violate the natural order of things, the natural development of the economy. And then they create some type of hybrid abomination that is essentially violations of the Eighth Commandment. The, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of, of the government coming in and saying, okay, well, we're going to legislate that water now freezes at 30 degrees Celsius. It's going against nature. That's what I'm trying to say. We're going to legislate now that trees must grow upside down. Right? It's, it's going against the natural order of, of things. Or we're going to legislate that 2 plus 2 is, is 5. And, our, you know, like a lot of our public school curriculum now, this is, if you believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that's probably white supremacy or something like that, right? Which is actually legitimate. So, that, I mean, it's being taught. It's not legitimate. It's being taught. So what, what, what's my, what am I saying? Is, is you have the government moving in, and then what they're saying is our word is greater than God's word, and we're not going to let the natural order of things take place. So we say that a man and a man is a family. Well, no, that you look at the parts, the parts don't fit, that's not a family. And, and it's the same thing with the economy. Someone has a piece of property, they develop that piece of property. Someone else has a piece of property, they develop it. Um, they come together, they exchange in, in, the, in the exchange of goods and services, and they attribute value to it. The market decides what the value is, and this is how it carries on, and this is how the economy grows. Well, the government comes in and says, no, we're doing something else. So that there's, there's an interventionism in the marriage side, and then there's an interventionism in this side, and it's not good. It's a viol what I'm trying to say is that when this is violated on a macro level, it's a violation of nature, and when it's, a viol when it's violated on the micro level, when you know, someone looks into their neighbor's house and then they steal what their neighbor has, or they walk into the drugstore and they rip something off the shelf and put it into their, their pocket, it is a violation of God's natural order. It's going against nature, because he didn't design it to be operated to, to operate that way. He designed it to, be op to operate freely. Where I have respect for your property, you have respect for my property, I see you as a steward of the property that God's given you, and God sees me as a steward, you see me as a steward of God's, the property God's given me, and we voluntarily exchange um, goods and services in a way that loves our neighbor, and we ourselves decide what the value is of the good, or the good and the service. So that's, that's biblical right there. And the, and the New Testament condemns theft, just like the Old Testament does. So the New Testament, for example, in Ephesians 4, verse 28, says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So right there you go, it's condemned. What are you supposed to do instead of stealing? You know, stealing with your hands or stealing by the ballot box so you can get the government to steal from someone else and give to you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go out and work with your own hands and create goods and services, according to Ephesians 4, verse 28. Our 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10 is very severe in what it says about thieves. It says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So they go to hell. Thieves go to hell. 
And there's a lesson from the New Testament. So what the Old Testament condemns in the Eighth Commandment, the New Testament also condemns. And the Old Testament, as we talk about how sinful this is, I'm answering the question, what is, why is this sin? The Old Testament actually, under its legal system, attributes penalties for violations of the Eighth Commandment. So it tells us what the penalties should be for Eighth Commandment violations, and I'll show you a few of them. It demands that thieves pay restitution to their victims. So Exodus 22, verse 1. A thief is to pay either fivefold or fourfold restitution for stealing the means of production. And so the Old Testament was an agricultural society, and the means of production were typically livestock. And so Exodus chapter 22, verse 1 says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for sheep. So five times restitution to the victim by the thief for stealing the means of production. And then two times restitution if the stolen good is returned. So if it's not returned, it's damaged, it's destroyed, five times restitution. If it is returned, two times restitution. Exodus 22 verse 4. If a stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double, two times restitution for stolen goods that are found or returned. And then just restitution for damaged goods that are borrowed. 22 verse 14. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. You borrow your, your neighbor's chainsaw and you break it, you owe him a chainsaw. Right? That's, that's how it goes. And so, so we have this system that's in place because this is, this is why stealing is so bad. And, and the system that is in place is five to four times restitution for stolen goods that aren't returned, two times restitution for stolen goods that are returned, and one time restitution for borrowed goods that are damaged. That's what it is. And what I want you to notice is some people come to the Old Testament civil code and the penal code, and they say, oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. But one of the things that I've been trying to point out to you as I've gone through this series is that the Old Testament penal code is much, makes much more sense than what we live under. Much more sense. Because if, if I go to you, and I steal something from you. I steal your car, okay? I steal your car, and I get caught stealing your car. If, first of all, if they catch me. But if I get caught stealing your car, then I'm going to go to court, and I get convicted. What's going to be my penalty? I'm going to go to jail, and you're going to pay for me to do nothing in jail. How much sense does this make? Right? That this is how it goes. Or, or say I get caught and I've I gotta put up the the parole or whatever it is, and and I want to get out of jail while I'm in my holding cell. Who does the fine go to? It doesn't go to you, it goes to the government. Because the government now considers itself the offended party as opposed to the victim being the offended party. And so under the Old Testament penal code, what happens is as opposed to you know, me getting caught for stealing your car and me going to jail, and now you're basically my slave because at the government's gunpoint, you got to pay for me to live in jail. What happens under the Old Testament penal code is if I get caught, I now owe you four or five fold of what I took from you, and if I can't afford four or five fold what I took from you, I now become your slave for six to seven years. Indentured servitude. Does that not make more sense to you than what we're dealing with right now? A lot more sense, because this is the wisdom of God and the metting out of God's justice. But what happens is, is the government has this jail system that makes victims out of victims. And essentially what you do is you become the slave of a guy who sits in jail and is unproductive. You know, 
His food is paid for. His heat is paid for. His hydro is paid for. His clothing is paid for. Everything's paid for. And who's paying for it? You at the gunpoint of the government, so now you're essentially his slave. As opposed to the other way around, where he's got to pay five or fourfold, and if he doesn't pay five or fourfold, he's now your slave for six to seven years, and he's actually productive, as opposed to sitting away in a jail cell and being unproductive. So this is the Old Testament penal system. And it's a biblical system, and the thieves in this instance are to work for the victims. In our system, the victims work for the thieves. Both testaments condemn the activity. Both testaments condemn the activity of stealing. And stealing is wrong because what we are saying is, I believe that God is not fair in what he gave me. And stealing is wrong because what we are saying is we are saying, I deserve more than what God has given me. And stealing is wrong because what we are doing is we are saying, because I don't believe God is fair in what he gave me, and because I think I deserve more than what God gave me, I'm going to put myself in the place of God and take what God didn't give me. That's why stealing is wrong. So I've answered the question, what is stealing? Then I've answered the question, why is it sin? And now thirdly, I'm going to answer the question, how does this apply? And now I'm just taking the shotgun approach to this. And there's just a whole bunch of applications. Some of it will fit together and some of it won't. Consider it a little bit like the book of Proverbs. How does this apply? And there's going to be a whole smorgasbord of applications here. And one of the first applications that I want to do is I ask the question, how does this apply? Is I want to go with one of the rules of interpreting the Ten Commandments that we learned early on. I showed you from Scripture, and I gave you some quotes. And one of the rules as we interpret the Ten Commandments is that each commandment is a heading. And it is a heading for a category. And then under each commandment, if you exposit it biblically, are all these little subcategories. So the heading, do not steal is the big, bold heading, and then there's all kinds of other sins that fall under that heading. So as Edward Fisher helpfully said many years ago, he says, under one good action commanded or one evil action forbidden, all the same kind or nature are comprehended. Everything like is also forbidden, and everything like is also commanded, depending on whether it's forbidden or commanded. So this is, do not steal, is a heading for all kinds of little subheadings. So let's go through some of those subheadings. Shoplifting, subheading. Armed robbery, subheading. Fraud, subheading. This is all within the eighth realm of the Eighth Commandment. How about removing landmarks? Boundaries, I mean, land, boundaries. And so this was a big problem in the Old Testament. So you've got your property, your neighbor has his property. When your neighbor's not looking, you slowly move the fence over an inch every year. Or then they would have stones or whatever. Now you could do this if you wanted to be really tricky with your neighbor. The government, governments do this when they invade land. They, they steal land from other countries. But removing landmarks. Um, the Eighth Commandment, according to Scripture, it doesn't just include this, the stealing of goods, but it also includes the stealing of people. So man-stealing, kidnapping, is forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. So the transatlantic slave trade... Thank God it was, there was, it was put an end to 150, 175 years ago by the Victorians. But that was a violation of the Eighth Commandment. People were stolen and they were sold. Present day context, human trafficking for the sake of prostitution or manufacturing pornography is becoming an increasingly big problem. Well, this is an Eighth Commandment violation. But there's a difference when it comes between the, the thievery or the stealing of goods and the stealing of people. Because when it comes to the stealing of goods, you rape, repay four to five times. But when it comes to the stealing of people, it's the death penalty, according to the scriptures. So Exodus 21, verse 6 says... Um, Sorry, 21 verse 16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Man-stealing is a capital crime. And it falls under the rubric of the Eighth Commandment. Using false balances 
is Eighth Commandment violation. So sometimes people, they, they make false claims about a product. We went to buy a car a little while ago. We didn't buy it, but we went to buy a car, and you compared the odometer in the vehicle with what the Carfax statement said, and it was pretty clear that the guy had somehow rigged, jerry-rigged the odometer within the vehicle so it wasn't matching up with what the Carfax statement says. Well, there's a false balance. He's being deceitful about the product that he's selling. So if you're involved in sales, maybe that's the industry that you're in, or if you're just selling something on Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace, and you're intentionally deceiving and leading someone on about the product that you're selling, you're a thief. It's a false scale or balance. You're offsetting the price to increase your earnings, but you're doing it with dishonesty. You're dishonest, lying about defects in a product. And, 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 and it's not just people that do this on an individual level, but governments do this. How does the government do this, you might ask? Well, in order to service their debt load, they print money. They have fancy terms for it, like quantitative easing. easing. But in order to service their debt load, they print money. And so when they print money, what does that do to the value of the money that you and I have saved in our bank account? Inflation. And so the value of our money goes down. And so by them printing money, they're devaluing the, cons the, the currency, which means they're devaluing their debt load. And because they're printing money, they can pay off their debt load. But at whose expense are they doing it? Our expense. Because one of the reasons we're dealing with inflationary Pricing right now is all the money that was printed during the lockdowns to service all of these government handouts. Well, this is theft. It's theft. Just because it's done by the government doesn't mean it's right. It's absolute theft. And essentially what they're doing is they're participating on the large scale in legalized counterfeiting. That's essentially what the government is doing. And they are operating with unjust balances. And if I wanted... No, I'm not going to get into that. But Well, if I wanted to go off on, on the gold standard, I would, but I'm not going to get into that. But, and then, but vandalism would be a violation of the Eighth Commandment, all right? Because what you're doing is you're destroying another person's property, and you're devaluing it. Lobbying government to strangle competitors with regulation. There's a violation, because what you're doing is now you're lobbying the government, and you're using your force is a citizen in order to kind of get in the government's ear, in the official's ear, in order to strangle your competitors with various regulations that give you an unfair advantage. So it's not a level playing field anymore. I would consider minimum wages in it to be something like this. What's the minimum wage do? Well, it just makes hamburgers more expensive at McDonald's. And then what else does it do? Well, it devalues the people who are higher earners than minimum wage. So it actually inflates the pricing now. And so everyone ends up paying more and earning less, except for the people who are making minimum wage, but most of them end up being laid off because companies can't afford them, and they replace them with machinery or computers. And so and they say, well, we're going to be really generous, and we're going to increase minimum wage this year to, what, 17 bucks an hour. Well, if you really wanted to be generous, why don't you increase minimum wage to a million bucks an hour? Then we'd all be millionaires. The reality is because the companies can't afford it. Well, how do you know they can afford 17 bucks an hour? You have to be able, it's the market that has to decide what a person's hourly wage is worth. And if you don't like making an hourly wage at minimum wage or whatever the wage is that they're ascribing to the time that you sell, then learn some skills, which we'll talk about soon in this sermon. But it's your job as, a, as someone whose responsibility is to market your own or, or to multiply your own wealth, it's your job to learn skills and industry and discipline and so on. But, you know, various job quotas that the government's bringing in now, and, you know, and it's just, it's all, it's all nonsense and it's all interventionism that is stealing. It's legalized stealing. That's all it is. It's still an Eighth Commandment violation. Now, I've talked about this application of God's law, so I just talked about the heading. So this Eighth Commandment is a heading, and then there's all these little subheadings. Well, let's talk about another way to apply God's law. And as Edward Fisher said, and I've reminded you many times, where evil is forbidden, the contrary good is commanded. We've talked about this. I've already talked about this in the sermon. So if, if the commandment is you shall not steal, well, what's the opposite good that's commanded? Well, the opposite good that's commanded is you shall be diligent in your work and craftsmanship. And your work and in your craftsmanship, you shall be diligent. 
So for example, Gary North, I think he helpfully said, he said, wealth flows to those who work hard, deal honestly with their customers, and who honor God. And some of you have experienced that. You've worked hard, you've dealt honestly with your customers, and you've honored God, and over time, slowly, what happens? Wealth flows to you, and it, it comes your way as you do these things. You develop skill, you develop industry, you develop craftsmanship, you develop a reputation as an honest person, and then eventually, slowly over time, the wealth flows your way, just like water flows downhill. Proverbs 10 verse 4 talks about this. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So you're not supposed to steal, but what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to work hard, use industry and enterprise to acquire wealth. Multiply your resources. Multiply your wealth. Proverbs 22 verse 29 similarly says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And so one of the things that my dad taught me many times, as he said to me, he said, if you work hard and you develop your skill, over time you will be rewarded. Eventually someone will recognize it and you will be rewarded. And that's exactly what the Proverbs are saying. You develop your skill and you work hard over time eventually your skill and your effort will be rewarded. That's how it goes. You develop skill, craftsmanship, and industry. And in fact, I don't say, I don't think the Bible commands entrepreneurship, but I think it commends it. In that I think it's a very, it's a very positive thing to do as you consider script, what the scriptures teach. The positive thing to do, entrepreneurial ventures. And I think it's a blessing. There's many of you in a church this size, who are entrepreneurs or who have stepped out on your own even in the last few years and you've hung your own shingle and you have decided that you're going to put these little passages in the Bible to the test. Is it true that diligence and dis discipline and craftsmanship and honesty and hard work, when you put those things together, is it true that over time wealth starts to multiply? And typically, it is. It doesn't mean you will excel in every entrepreneurial venture, but eventually, as you try and as you learn and as you figure out what your gifts are, that's typically what will happen. And I think in a church this size where there's so many people that know each other, so many think the same way as having a biblical worldview, I think it gives you an added advantage to pursue um, entrepreneurship. But either way, whether you pursue it or not, you should be figuring out how to multiply your wealth not hiding your wealth and not squandering your wealth, but multiplying your wealth. That's the positive side of the prohibition. The prohibition is don't steal, which means don't steal from other people. And then you could say, don't squander what you have. And then the positive side would be to take care of what you have and not just take care of what you have, but to honestly multiply what you have. And how do you multiply what you have? Skill, craftsmanship, ingenuity, and self-discipline. And so, according to the parable of the talents, if your wealth is actually God's, which it is, God expects you to multiply it. He expects you to use your wealth and abilities to multiply things. And this is the way the world works. Healthy things multiply. It's, it's a miracle. This is the miracle of the economy. People think the economy grows if the government does things. No, the economy grows if the government backs off. The economy is like an apple tree. If I, if I spend... If I spend a little bit of money on a little apple tree, a little seedling, and I put it in my yard, then all of a sudden, after a few years, what happens? That apple tree starts to produce hundreds of apples, eventually. And then not only that, I can take those hundreds of apples, and I can plant more apple trees, and then the cycle will repeat itself, and repeat itself, and repeat itself. And this is how God has designed the world to work, is that healthy things, and healthy efforts, and and, and healthy practices will eventually, over time, receive the blessing of God as you learn to be fruitful. And God blesses what you uh, sow. He blesses you with what you reap. This is God's plan for the economy. And this is it. And so, and so if the commandment commands, remember what I said, it, it, it tells you don't steal, then that means it commands you to accumulate wealth and work hard. Well, that means that it prohibits you from being lazy. The prohibition is there against laziness. 
And so the, the, the condemnation of the Bible is very strong against laziness. We're not strong enough against laziness in our culture, and I don't think we're strong enough against it in the church either. But there should be no tolerance. Lazy people, lazy people are a burden to not only themselves, but to society. They are a drain. They are, they're a scourge. They take away from the community. And Proverbs talks about that. Proverbs 10.26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. So lazy people, sluggards, aren't just a burden to themselves, but they're a pain to everyone. According to that passage, they're selfish creatures who waste their lives and waste what God's given them in order to have temporary gain or perceived gain. Proverbs 15, verse 19, similarly says, The way of a sluggard is like the hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And as I've said many times in this series, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that if a man will not work, he should not eat. Now let's, let's apply that for a minute here. Laziness. It's not just laziness that's forbidden, but it's the subsidizing of laziness that's forbidden. It's the contributing to it. Because remember what I said earlier when I talked about applying the Ten Commandments. It's not just you violating the Ten Commandment that's sin, but it's you enabling somebody else to violate the ten, one of the Ten Commandments that's sin. So I say, I, I don't want to be a murderer, so I'll hire a hitman. Well, that, that's a violation because I'm subsidizing the murder, right? I hope you understand. And so what, what, what you take that and you apply it to laziness, what does that mean? The subsidizing of laziness is now an eighth commandment violation. So that if somebody won't work, what should be the way that you treat them? They don't eat. The Bible tells us to take care of the poor, but it's not telling us, and, and it's telling us to take care of the poor, the able-bodied poor. Those who can get a job but won't poor. That's the lazy. And that ought not be subsidized. It ought, be, it ought not be subsidized in the lives of your children. Which means there reaches a time in the life of your child where it's either get a job or get out. Because by living in your house, they're not feeling hunger pains that they, like they should. Right? But it applies on a big level to society. Which means a lot of these welfare programs or government handout programs are the protection of so-called um, homeless camps, where people, are mo most of them that are living in them are not there because they can't work. They're there because they're addicted to drugs and they don't want to work. So they're just looking for the next high. Subsidizing any of that type of behavior is to be complicit in an Eighth Commandment violation. And so there's so much of that. So, so welfare checks don't just take away, it's not just stealing what you're doing, you're not just stealing from the person who's taxed to pay the welfare check. You're also teaching the person who receives the welfare check to be subservient. Which is an eighth commandment violation because you're teaching them that they can get away with laziness. And that goes against nature. It's against the natural order that God has created. It destroys the will of the recipients when you subsidize laziness. It destroys their will so that you are teaching them that it is good and natural to live in an unnatural state. It is against God and it is against nature. You know what this also means? If we want to talk about another application of the Eighth Commandment, another application of the Eighth Commandment is you should pay your bills and meet your financial obligations on time. That's a big thing that a lot of people have a problem with. But for example, Psalm 37 verse 21 says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So if you've spent the hydro in your month, as crazy as the rates might be, and then the bill comes at the end of the month, you've borrowed hydro with the promise that you'll pay, and you don't want to pay your bill on, on time, now you're in sin. If you've done it with the gas bill, if you've done it with your rent, 
So, so you might say, well, I, I only make minimum wage. Well, you sell your time. And, and someone has deemed that your time is worth so much an hour. Well, the guy who rents the apartment to you, he sells his land uh, by rent. And you've deemed that the rent of that apartment is worth so much, and you've promised to pay him. So how, much would, how would you like it if you sold your time for so many bucks an hour, you get to the end of the two-week pay period, and the boss says, oh, I don't have enough to pay you. Maybe I'll get to that in a couple months. How long would you last? Unfair, unfair. Well, that's exactly what you're doing to the person whose bills you're not paying when you owe them bills. You're stealing from them, and you are an Eighth Commandment violator. You're a thief. So you shouldn't just be paying your bills, but you should be paying your bills on time. Now back to the macro level. Now we'll talk about the government again. I just talked about individuals, and let's talk to the government again. The government, government schemes to control markets, I've already talked about it, are theft. And so now I'm going to say something that might somewhat be controversial, but it's still th th thievery, it's still stealing, even if it's controversial. Socialized medicine is theft. And here's why it's theft. Because let's say you got a doctor who's also an investor, and he says, hey, I bet you I could start a hospital, and I could, and I could, and I could charge a certain rate to people who want to frequent my hospital because I can give them better care and better service than the government hospitals can. And the government says, nope, that's illegal. You can't use your property. You can't use your ingenuity. You can't use your creativity in that way. Now, what they're doing is they're stealing his creativity, they're stealing his ingenuity, they're stealing his intellectual property, and they're saying he's not allowed to use it for the good of the community and turn a profit on it. It's theft. It's, it's absolute theft. So that right there, when the government intervenes to that degree, is theft. Various caps on the market, various quota systems, various price-fixing Organized labor can all fall within this category, and I realize we live in an imperfect world, and some have invested in this, and some have, have built their careers on this. I'm not saying you're necessarily involved in, in being a thief, but what I am saying is that the governments that brought this in and the people that originally lobbied for these programs, their perspective was off, and they weren't operating within the context of God's moral reality. And because of those shaky foundations, we end up with more problems and more problems and more problems because these industries are dependent upon what? Something that is unnatural but is created in midair by the government. Now, I've got a few more points of application, so bear with me. But to prove it, I want to I just point out 1 Kings chapter 21 as I talk about government intervention. In 1 Kings chapter 21... Um, King Ahab wanted to buy Naboth's vineyard. He essentially wanted to nationalize the vineyard, you could say, maybe. Maybe that's a stretch, but he, he, he wanted to buy the vineyard. And he wanted to use his power as the king to buy the vineyard from Naboth. And he offered Naboth, the Bible tells us, fair market value for the property. He was trying to expropriate the land, in other words, with fair market value. Value. And Naboth said, no, I will not do it. I'm not doing it. In that story, it was the king that was wrong and not Naboth. So anytime the government, even if they use fair market value and they try to give it to you for fair market value, and then they expropriate the asset from you by force of the law, that's theft. They're doing this right now with the gun laws. So how are they doing it with the gun laws? Well, what they're doing is, is if someone owns a gun, and the government says, oh, that gun was legal, now it's illegal. And so we've made it illegal, not because it, we just said it's, it's scary looking, and now it's illegal, right? And so now it's illegal, and so what we're going to do, because we're so benevolent as a government, because your gun is illegal, we're going to expropriate that gun from you. We'll give you fair market value for it, and you've got to sell it to us, but we're going to force you to sell it to us. We're going to force you to sell your guns to us at gunpoint. Because if you don't sell your guns to us, policemen with guns are going to show up on your door so that you sell your guns to us. That's theft. Because you didn't agree to that. You, you didn't say, you didn't buy that so that you say, well, I want to sell that to the government one day. No, it's, 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 you're bought, you bought it because you wanted to use it for whatever you wanted to use it for. Okay? And so it's theft. It's interesting that Gideon... What did he do? He hid his wheat from the government in a wine press. That's how bad the government was in his day. 
He had to hide the production of his land within the vat of a wine press so that the government wouldn't steal his wheat, which tells me that there's limits to taxation. Well, we can talk about those limits another time, but there are limits to taxation whereby Gideon is justified to hide his material assets from a government that's trying to tyrannically tax him from it, of it. I'd say the lockdowns fall into this category. The churches that advocated for the lockdown, I'm trying to show you through this series how every commandment is applicable to the lockdowns. And the churches that advocated for lockdowns were churches that were in violation of not one, not two, not three, but all ten commandments. How do they violate the eighth commandment? Well, communism is when the government steals your property so that it can benefit somebody else's wealth. The lockdowns were when the government stole people's property so they can benefit people's health. It was a form of communism. The government moved in. They say, we're going to control your business. We're going to control your assets. You're not allowed to do this with your assets. And we're going to do it for the benefit of somebody else's health. It wasn't, they say it was for the love of neighbor. But they used an unlawful amount of control in order to do it, despite what the courts say. So this forbids, I should talk about taxation a little bit, but not a lot. I don't want to because I've mentioned it before. But our taxation system is theft. You're taxed on sales tax. You're taxed on property tax. You're taxed on income tax. You're taxed on corporate tax. You're taxed on capital gains tax. You're taxed on when you, you know, if you're taxed on when you die and you want to leave your assets to your kids, there's fees to pay. As if the government has ownership over your property, has ownership over your income, has ownership over the sales of, of material goods or or ideas, or whatever. They, see, this, when, they, when they fix a tax to something, what they're doing is they're declaring ownership. I own that. I have the right to regulate that. That's not your property that you live on. You have to pay in property tax on your property, and you've got to get our permission to build on your own property and use your property to do what you want with it. All of this is theft. Every little bit of it is theft. And you, don't, you want to point you know, fingers at people who are thieves and everything else. The biggest thieves in this entire country are the pirates that run the government. It's, it's, it's piracy. You say, well, Romans 13 and all these other passages in the Bible says the government has the right to tax. Yes, they have the right to tax. Absolutely, they have the right to tax. But that right is limited. Because if you came to me and you said, well, the government has the right to tax me at a 99.99% tax rate, is that Okay. No, there's a limitation. And so if you look at the Old Testament tax code, they're paying between 20 and 30% on a head tax for their income. There's a head tax, and then maybe there's a 20 to 30%. There's not property tax. There's not sales tax. There's not varying tax rates depending on your income. It's a fixed 20 to 30% tax rate, and God himself demands for a tithe 10%. And so a government that's going above and beyond what it's been regulated by God to do is a government that's declaring itself to be God. So anyway, I've, I've talked about political issues. I've talked about personal issues. And what I want to bring this down to is that what the, the, the Eighth Commandment means on a very personal level is supposed to govern the affections of your heart. This is really the personal application. You know, it's to govern the affections of your heart. What is the problem? What is the basic problem with everything that's going on as I talk about all of these aspects of, of people being thieves? High places, low places. You know, we had, a, we had an outdoor service here a few years ago in the parking lot, and someone tried to steal a bike in the parking lot that drove by on the road. There was a bike out here on someone's vehicle, and the, someone, Mike came to me and said, someone tried to steal a bike. I said, well, report it to the police. Police come by, and they're basically like, why would you tell us? You're wasting our time. That's how common petty theft is. It's a waste of time to report it to the police. What's the problem with all of this? Well, the problem is, is people don't have rightly ordered affections in their hearts. Their, their hearts are off. And so this is a call, the Eighth Commandment, you know what it is? It's a call to enjoy what God's given you. And 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says that. I'll show you. You should, you should enjoy it. And, and, and it says... Specifically, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, is for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So, so rich people shouldn't be haughty, they shouldn't set their hopes on riches, but on God, who what? Who provides us with everything to enjoy. Why has God given you money? Well, there's many reasons God's given you money, but one of the reasons he's given you money is 
so that you enjoy it. And so it's to be content, to be thankful with what you've given, to be enjoy with to enjoy what you've given, to be satisfied with what you've given, to be thankful to God and grateful with what you've given. And if this was the affections of everybody's heart, we wouldn't have a problem with people being thieves. We wouldn't have a problem with government being thieves. We wouldn't have a problem with individuals being thieves. But we live in a society of thieves. People who are complicit on every level with Eighth Commandment violations. Why? Because they're full of envy, they're full of thanklessness, and they're full of discontent. And if we learn to be thankful, we learn to be content with our lots in life, and we learn to be satisfied with what God's given us, there'd be no need to steal. There'd be no desire to steal. The poor shouldn't envy the rich. The rich shouldn't despise the poor. And we shouldn't be setting our eyes on accumulating more stuff, but simply on being faithful with what God has given us to invest it and watch God multiply it. This should be the state of our hearts, the affections of our hearts. Contentment, thanklessness, or thankfulness, gratitude, and satisfaction with what God has given us. So I've asked the questions and I've answered them. What is theft? Why is it sin? And how does it apply? On a personal, civil, and hard level. Next time we're together and I'm preaching on the Eighth Commandment, I'm going to talk about managing our own resources and our own wealth in light of the Eighth Commandment. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you for your word and the wisdom that it provides for us and the light that it is unto our paths. We pray that you would strengthen us, you'd forgive us for our disobedience, and you would help us to be content, to be thankful and satisfied with what you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.